if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll spend some time there. And, and uh, let me pray as we get started. Jesus, it is always a privilege to serve you. It's our pleasure to love you. And it's our priority, God, to live out your truth written on the words that we will be reading from today. And then, Lord, I, maybe I'll just add one more thing that it's our promise, God, to those who are seeking to find you today that we would actually get out of the way. We would get out of the way, Lord. And so, Lord, they would find a way to you that is beautiful and clear. And that ultimately, Lord, all of this will be done in your namesake. Lord, we're asking that not only today would we accomplish that, but that would be true all the days of our lives. And all of God's people said, amen. So every time I'm here, Joanne and I are here, we're really, really blessed. Actually, last time I was here, I had been traveling a lot and I had blown my eardrum out. And uh, it was painful, and I couldn't hear anything. And so when people were talking to me, I'm like, yes, you ever done that? Like, yeah, I don't know what you're saying, but I'm saying something. And then preaching was really a chore, so it's really nice to have both my ears clear and that I can hear everything, even all the jokes. It's been fantastic. But every time we're here, I'm just so grateful for Pastor John and Lisa in our lives, not just in a professional, collegial way, but really they're good, good friends of ours, and I deeply love and respect them, and I, I hope as a church you recognize that you've got one of the good ones. I mean, I, I, I can get a little teary about this right now. I just, I just really feel so strongly about this. I get a chance to, in my role with the Free Methodist Church, to travel around the country and talk to pastors all over the country, about 960 churches in FMC USA, and and really, you've got one of the better ones. And, uh, and I'm just so grateful for that. And so I hope during this month, you will just spoil him and pastor appreciation. I know that you do often anyways, but he is just a blessing to the kingdom of God. And, and of course, we all recognize that John can do anything without Lisa. <laughs> That's for you. Just to be really clear, there's nothing that John could do without Lisa, and he would absolutely agree, but it's an honor to be with you guys always. I love being here. I love your fellowship. I love your community. I love the way you love one another. It's just incredible. Now, so when my friend Pastor John invited me to come here and speak, I, of course, said yes. I didn't even really have to pray about it. I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do because he is my friend. But I did begin to pray, and I said, God, you know, what would you like me to share? And, of course, when John asked, Pastor John asked me to come and be here, the world was at uh, probably the crisis meter was about 6, 6.5. Um, and then, of course, within a few days, the world just went to crisis meter 9.5 and 10. So we are in this space, and there's a picture we can put up there. You know, the globe is in a space, the whole world. We are connected whether we like it or not. And... So I began to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, I, I had something in mind and I have, you know, a role where people are asking a lot from me in this moment to say, hey, how do we respond to such a thing? And I'll share a little bit about that. But I really felt like the Lord said, no, I, what I gave you is what I think Living Spring needs to hear at this moment. And for such a time as this, that I think it will still be relevant. And here's something I have to ask of you right off the bat, because Pastor John is my friend, that no matter what I say, you have to come back, <laughs> okay? 
because I'd hate to lose a long-term friendship over anything I have to say. And then, of course, the Bible says you have to love me. So we're just clear on all the parameters that we need to cover today. But what I felt like the Lord told me to share with you, I think, is it's not very complex. Um, and I think that it will be actually really appropriate for such a time as this. And he, here it is, really. I'd like to talk to you about the importance of consistency over intensity. Let me say that again, the importance of consistency over intensity. And so let me start with a few questions. Is it better for you to exercise two hours one day or maybe exercise 45 to 60 minutes every day? Now, some of you in the room are like, I am a one day a weeker. You know what I mean? I go as intense as I can go. I check the box and it's all good. Well, statistics say, your doctors say, and trainers say, it would be better that you do at least something every day. I travel a lot, and so sometimes I get off an airplane, and it's like, oh, how do I go work out? How am I going to do that? And this this little voice in the back of my head says, just move. Just do something. Touch your toes. Don't not do anything. Because my tendency is to go more intense and think that's going to be okay. But my doctor recently just told me that you've got to dial down the intensity. You're in your 50s now. And I, I actually was deeply offended by that. <laughs> um, but she was right, of course. She's always right. Dr. Heidi is always right. And just I have to dial back that intensity and really start leaning into what it means to be more consistent, right? We can all agree with that. I love what Usain Bolt says, I trained for four years to run nine seconds. People don't see results in two months, and they give up. And many times, especially in our culture, we, we want it quick, and we want it fast, and we think intense is going to be the answer. Well, let me get it to maybe something you're more interested in. I don't know. Uh, is it better to cram for an exam or actually give your space to study actual the content over a period of time? Now, you know, I went to college, and I have a few degrees behind my belt. Sometimes you just got to cram. Sometimes you got to get it in the brain and get it out as fast as possible. But what I have learned over a long period of time and lots of schooling is actually it's better for me to kind of breathe into this thing over a period of time. Wouldn't you agree? And I would even add this, friends. If you ever are learning something, it's also great if you would teach somebody something. I, so I think John warned you. I might be a little cheeky. I have the spiritual gift of agitation, so just, just bear with it. Um, I, I think that's true in faith, too. I think a lot of times we're trying to cram stuff in in our faith, in our discipleship. We like to go real intense about it, and I'll, I'll get there in a minute. And we like to cram, like, it's, you know, we're going to get our final exam tomorrow. And I, I just want to encourage you that really it, it should be spaced out a little bit longer. And really, if you really want to know that you've learned something, teach somebody else. I, I think someone really famous said that once, like this go make disciples thing. I think he said it, that really this idea is not a cram. There's consistency in that. Well, how about this? Uh, I don't think this is true for this room, but is it better to brush your teeth at least twice a day uh, or just rely on that six-month or yearly checkup? That's, that's our friend, the Grinch's teeth. I didn't want to show anybody's pictures of teeth that I, you know, I didn't want to offend anybody. But the reality is, I would say, friends, it, it's better for you to go to the, you know, to the toothbrush once or twice a day. Some of you maybe a few more times a day, um, just in case. And don't forget to get that tongue as you're doing it. Just, just a helpful tip there. And, uh, 
And I, we don't know how many times you're supposed to brush your teeth that keeps the, all of the stuff away, right? Dentists can't tell you that, yeah, if you do it twice a day for at least seven days in a row and you take a few days off and then you do another three days in a row, you'll be okay. Just, you can't measure it. That's, that's probably the problem with this consistency and intensity thing. But there's definitely a difference between the two. And now I would just say this, that experts again are over and over trying to figure out when is that number? Where is that magic number? If we just do it just this amount of times. And I just want to say this out loud. Isn't that true of what we do in our faith? If I can just do enough, if I can just be intense enough for at least one day a week, at least an hour, well, I'm preaching today, hour and a half then that should check the box because it, there's something in our culture, there's something that wired in our faith that says, you know, if I can just find a shortcut, if I can just do it intense and I, and I can say that I've done it, then, I, then I've done it. And I, I got to tell you, beloved, that the goal is not intensity. It really is consistency. Now, for some of you in this room, I would imagine that uh, you're in relationship and, you know, you can ask yourself the question, what, what does it take to fall in love? What, what does it mean to move into this place? Is, is it gifts? Is it quality time? Is it remembering the special days or the acts of service or intimacy or listening? Now, all of those are good things and you need to do them and they will lead you to be in a place where you will hopefully fall in love and that person that you are trying to make this happen with will do the same thing. It took me a, a long time, but that's another story. And but so what's the magic number of times you do this when you know like, you, you've fallen in love? And I think we, we do this thing when it comes to love. We, we love intensely. And I, I would say this, that you can love intensely and that will get you in the door. Definitely that will kind of get you set up for the moment. And we really should try with all the lists that I just mentioned. But I, I do want to say this, that we can impress each other with our intensity when it comes to love. But to stay in love, it takes consistency. Bottom line, it takes consistency. You know, I was thinking back that when I was trying to win over jo Joanne, she wasn't trying to win over me, just that's the true story. And so I was trying to win her over. And, you know, eventually, you know, I could see the walls were falling down. And, you know, I was like, okay, the victory's on the way. And, but there's this sense of just, you know, when will there be that moment of I love you and we're in love? And so, you know, now 30 some odd years later, thank you, by the way. Um, you know, I, you know, when was that moment? And so when I asked her, she goes, it was when we were eating a muffin together and you made me laugh. And I knew you would make me laugh the rest of my life. So I was like, I can, I can do that. I wake up doing that because it's about being consistent. She didn't need all the intensity. Now, I, she still needs the intensity of certain things. Of course she does. But I think more than ever, she just needs to know that I will be consistent. And I often bring her a muffin and I try my best to make her laugh. And I think that's true in all these things, friends. Honestly, in our relationships, our habits, our, our work, our school, our projects, and our faith, we struggle because we are looking for the thrill of intensity rather than doing the work of consistency. 
We'll begin here with that, let me go back to that last slide, of this kind of hot fire in these first little moments. And man, I got to tell you, it'll just ebb away. You just can't keep up. You can't keep up with the pace. And of course, God would just say, can we have, be a people more that are consistent than just intense? And, and I'm a pretty intense person. I know John told, he told me, he told you too, he's going to walk around, he's going to be loud, he's going to make you say amen. So I'm doing everything in my spirit to not let that be true. <laughs> Don't put me in a box, man. But, but by the end, I'll probably be over there somewhere doing something. I'm an intense person. And I'll share a little bit about what that did in my faith. In some ways, it almost train wrecked my faith being so intense because I couldn't keep it up. So here are some questions I, I want to throw at you. Have you ever thought about your life and recognized the difference between intensity and consistency? Have you ever seen how that impacts relationships, your works, your habits? And then most importantly, as we're in this space, have you ever noticed that we often see this in our faith and our pursuit of faith? The difference between consistency and intensity we can get really intense about the beginning of the journey or our relationship, and that works for a while, and we feel, man, and let's just be honest, we feel like our intensity is matched by Jesus' intensity at the beginning, and then all of a sudden it feels like his intensity backs off a little bit, and so we try to get more intense about it, and then we realize he's not going to play that game anymore. Have you ever been there? He's looking more, beloved, for not just your intensity, but he's looking for a, a, a people that would be consistent and then, of course, you feel bad about it. And you become more intense. And for a moment, it lifts and hope is there. But man, after a while, you can't keep it up. God is not just looking for your intensity. Because I will tell you, beloved, he's more impressed with your consistency. And in times like these, when the world is so intense, our natural response is to match their intensity. But I think Jesus models that consistency is a better response, and this is why I think this way. So I am the strategic catalyst for love-driven justice for the Free Methodist Church in the United States and around the globe. And that, it's, it sounds more impressive than it really is. But the reality is that every day I'm thinking through many of the things that are coming across people's desks. And of course, right now, the Middle East is on their mind. But I, I want to just say this, that no number of intense sound bites or media posts are going to settle a 4,000-year conflict. And I, I'm not going to go political on you. I'm not going to go anywhere there today with you. I just want you to know that what's happening in the intensity of a world crisis, you'll never be able to match that because it's been long going. And I, I think in this moment, of course, we're at a, a real critical space. It's coming to a real critical head. There's no doubt. But beloved, I want you to be encouraged to know this, if this can encourage you. God is not surprised by anything that happened in the Middle East. And I'll tell you why. Because God is consistent in who he is, his love for the nations, his calling them out to their lack of guidance, mercy, or justice without him. In both the now and the not yet, God is consistent. And I have decided that for me to presume I have all the answers and understand the depths 
of everything that's happening and all the theological implications, all the ge geopolitical nuances, without deeply leaning into the consistency of Jesus' wisdom and pursuing better understanding of all that is happening is dangerously naive of me. Got really quiet, but it is dangerously naive of me. You're not sure, amen, boo, get out, but the exit's there and I can run real fast. Just for a moment, people have asked again, how, how do we respond in such a moment? And so what I've shared is this, that my intensity so far has been only to lament for the tragedy of lost life, value, and hope. Over 60% of your psalms are lament psalms, and we don't spend enough time just weeping over what's happening in our world. The crisis does not need the intensity of my opinion or the latest news feed. It needs the consistency of my faith and action to partner with those who are faith and action there on the ground. My consistency to see justice, mercy, love, salvation, forgiveness, compassion, generosity, and peace in what will be necessary not for just this news cycle, but for many, many, many days to come. And that first coming for me, I need to put myself in a position to weep over the loss, to seek peace, and ultimately, beloved, to deepen my trust of who God is. And my trust is that God is consistent. And he's got this. Alan Redpath, he's a British evangelist and pastor. He said this once, There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God, past Christ, right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me. No circumstance will cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of who my Lord is. That is the rest or peace of victory. God is not looking just for your intensity, beloved. He is looking for your consistency because he is consistent. All right, I gave you a long time to find uh, 2 Peter 1, but if you're there, say amen. amen. The word of the Lord says this really clear. Right off the bat, the author says this, His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Let me, let me just say this again. His divine power power has given us everything. Say that with me. Given us everything. Let's say it one more time like we believe it. Given us everything needed for life. It's one of these verses that it's one of my favorite verses, but it gets kind of overlooked so often that God actually in his divine power has given us everything, everything. Turn to your neighbor and say everything. Everything. See, I promise I'm already starting to get ramped up. I'm sorry, John. You're right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Everything you needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Right out of the gate for a consistent life, we have to recognize that God has already promised he has given you everything that you need. That's why he's not impressed with your intensity because he's intense enough. He has given you everything you need. If you're coming to this place, I don't know what your journey or your story is, but if you're a human being, we're all tore up from the floor up, so I get your story. I just want you to know that you could leave, well, don't leave right now, but you could leave shortly with just this. He has given you everything 
you need. And he will not hold back because he is consistent. And that glory and excellence, he's given you all of these resources, everything. And all of this, beloved, is so clear for us to understand that we stand on this foundation. He has given us everything. I can't earn anything. He's given me his grace, his glory, and his excellence. Now, now, see, now I feel like I'm supposed to be moving around, and I'm like, okay, stay in the box. Tell me to stay in the box. Everything God has given you for your life. It's, it's just so powerful. I mean, just that idea of his glory, for us to have a consistent life, that just is so mind-boggling to me. In John 17, Jesus says this, the glory that the Father has given me, I give to you. I've given to them that they may be one as we are one. It's just so mind-boggling that God in his goodness would give you everything you need. His grace, his glory, his excellence. And this particularly, his glory, is just, it's, it's remarkable, beloved. Because in the book of Isaiah, God is really clear. He's like, I'm not sharing my glory with anybody. And then Jesus comes as the incarnation of God on earth. And he, he breaks some rules. He, he steps into our space and he says, I am the manifestation of God on earth, the Son of God, God himself. And we know this because in John 17, he says, I have the Father's glory. For him to say that is probably one of the most heretical things he could have said. Because he's making an apologetic, not an apology, but an argument to say that the glory that God said he wouldn't share, he has shared with me, thus I am God. And so if you're ever looking for a place where Jesus says he's God, it's right in that passage in John 17. But this is where it gets crazy to me. He goes, this glory that the Father has given me, he says, now I'm going to give it to you. And he's not looking for you to waste it in some kind of intense moment. He's looking for you to steward the glory of God's goodness and excellence every day in a consistent life. Why? Because he answers the question in John 17 that we would be one. And if we're one displaying the consistency of God's glory and excellence and grace, then the world will see that Jesus and the Father are one. And if the world sees that, then we'll know that Jesus is God. And if the world sees that Jesus is God, then we'll know that he is truth and he is grace and he is life. And it's not just for a life everlasting, but a life abundant on earth. And that if he is shalom, he can enter in any, any space and create rest and peace. So we wonder why our world is in crisis. We wonder why there's such an intensity of our world. It's not the world's problem, beloved. It's the bride's problem. Because we are not partaking in his divine nature that he's given to us as a gift, not in an intense way. The world doesn't need to see more intense Christians. They need to see more consistent Christians, both in their witness, in their word, in their life, in their voice, in their habits, in their holiness, in their excellence before God. And, beloved, when that begins to happen, the world begins to turn towards the church for some answers. And we will ultimately point them to Jesus, who is the only answer. Okay, I promise that's as intense as I'm going to get <laughs> in the next five minutes. 
So in this partnership, God has given us everything we need. I, I love the devotional version of this from Eugene Peterson. It says this, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately. Wow, the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we've ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your ticket to participation in the life of God after you've turned back on a world corrupted by lust. So pause here for a moment and ask yourself these two questions. Is my intensity for Jesus demonstrating his grace, glory, excellence, nature, and promises? Or is it just simply promoting you? Do you want me to read it again or you're good? Okay. Number two, if I were consistent in partnering with God in his divine nature and promises, what would each area of your life look like? Any area, work, school, church, relationships. If you are consistent in participating in the divine nature that God has given you of his grace, glory, and excellence, what would your life look like? Man, I wish this wasn't a rhetorical question. <laughs> but whatever that thought was in your mind, it's like, wait a minute. Now, this is what I want to tell you as a friend of Living Spring. If the first thought in your mind was condemnation, I'm just lousy at this thing, Fraser. You're right. You are poking me, and I want to jump up there and do something to you to make you stop. I get it. If that first thought is like, oh, I'll never get this, that's not God. That's not God. Condemnation is not from Jesus. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, but condemnation is not from Jesus, beloved. These questions are to help you be provoked into a place of saying, there's hope for me. That actually, if I were to partner with God and div his divine nature, that my relationships could actually be hopeful. I, I, my house could actually be full of his glory. That my parenting could actually turn into relational excellence. My workspaces and environments might actually dramatically change because the presence of Jesus is so strong on you that it couldn't help but be changed. So don't let it be condemning. Let it be to a place of convicting me to a whole other level of living in a way that's more consistent with the way, the way God has la lined it up in his word. Again, because if you're just spouting off every once in a while your intensity about how much you love Jesus in the middle of a crisis, crisis does reveal your character, beloved, but I got to tell you, consistency will reveal who you are over time, all the time. Because if all of a sudden you get intense and the world's intense and all of a sudden now everybody knows you're a Christian, you got to ask yourself, how consistent have I really been? Woo, Joanne, start the car. Okay, okay, we're good. Uh, okay, a few more minutes and then I'll get out of here, I promise you guys. Verse 5 says this, for this reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with. And then he goes through this list of beautiful virtues which we won't have time, to, of course, to knock out today. But I, I want to kind of go to the punchline, if I can. If you, you kind of jump down to verse 8, he said, if you do these things, 
and they're increasing among you, then they're going to keep you from being ineffective sorry, and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That there's something that God is calling us to do, that as we make every effort, which sounds kind of intense, but when you take that uh, Greek phrase and, and the idiom of that, it really is to take it seriously. It's like, I am taking this really seriously. Another way to translate that Greek word of effort is, I'm going to be diligent. I, I don't think that just to take something serious is evidence of my intensity towards it. I take my family really serious, and so, yeah, when it comes to moments of protecting them, I could get intense. Holy could go hoodie like that. <laughs> but that's okay. But what they need, though, is my consistency because that will prove that I am serious about this every day. And, you know, I, I love reading, and one of my favorite books recently is by a guy named James Clear, and he wrote this book called Atomic Habits. Maybe some of you have read it. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read some quotes here about kind of helping us with consistency and moving us towards this effective and fruitful life, not an ineffective and unfruitful life. He says this right off the bat. The four laws of behavior change are a simple set of rules we can use build better habits. One, make it obvious. Two, make it attractive. Three, make it easy. Four, make it satisfying. He goes on to say, your actions reveal how badly you want something. If you, you keep saying something is a priority, but you never act on it, then you don't really want it. Man, I, and I, I'd love for you just, you know, this, this secular book, but just, just throw your faith in between the lines of these spaces. I mean, if something is a priority, but you never act on it, then you don't really want it. Wow, that's convicting. It's time to have an honest conversation with yourself. Your actions reveal your true motivations. He goes on to say, good habits can make rational sense, but if they conflict with your identity, this is what really hit me, you'll fail to put them into action. In action. He says this, your identity emerges out of your habits. Wow. Your habits are how you embody your identity. The process of building habits is actually the process of becoming yourself. Now, just insert Jesus into that. If our identity is to become like Jesus, what's emerging out of us? And finally, it says the greatest threat to success is not failure, but boredom. We get bored with habits because they stop delighting us. The outcome becomes expected. And as our habits become ordinary, we start derailing our progress to seek novelty. Now, just all of that to say intensity towards our habits gets us to a certain place but it's going to be the consistency and the most important thing that I draw from James's work here although it's all really good is I, I wonder in my own life in your life consistency builds habits that create identity that you desire to embody my hope in this space is that you're desires to embody Jesus, right? And so do people in your life see the obvious, attracting, not burdensome, and fulfilling life you have in Jesus? In conversations, on your social media, your spiritual disciplines, your work, your faith, your parenting, your relationships, do they see the obvious, attracting, ease and fulfilling life you have in Jesus. That's consistency. That's what God is desiring. So back to your word, it says, for this reason you must make every effort to support your faith, right? Because we want an increasing 
abundant life. We want to be kept in the, the, the safe place with Jesus. We don't want to be ineffective. We want to be effective and fruitful. We, we want the knowledge of understanding who Jesus is. And he, he gives us these eight remarkable virtues. And again, I don't have time to unpack all those with you today, but it starts with faith because that's where we always start. And so if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I hope that today's your day. Because really, to be effective in this whole thing called Christianity, walking with Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, it always will start with your faith, always in who he is. It's all about what he has done for us, and we have to submit to that daily. And I, I'll just tell you this honestly, I, I, don't, I don't re-up my sinner's prayer every day, okay? I'm Wesleyan. I, I'm in, man. I, I said yes to Jesus. I am Wesleyan enough to say every day, I need you, Jesus. And if I've let any of you sneak away or walk away or I've walked away, I just want to come back to you again and say, I am reaffirming my faith with you, Lord. And I, I just want you to hear this. I've been walking with Jesus several decades. I don't want to ever be arrogant enough to say, I've got this all figured out. Because when I do that, I take Jesus for granted and I make his grace cheap. And every day, it's the grace of God that I stand up here, stand down there, go to Walmart. Grace of God every day. And I have to reaffirm that. And Lord, I, I love you. You did all the work. I reaffirm my faith with you today. Now let's have an amazing adventure. See what you're going to do. And then you'll see that the writer builds on these things. They're not like these separate virtues that you just kind of go after all by themselves. They build. Faith moves into excellence, and that's the virtues of God. That's the nature of God. Then it moves into a place of wisdom and knowledge. And then, you know, beloved, self-control will come if you lean into those first three things. Because you're leaning into his divine nature. You're leaning into how to live like he lives. And all of a sudden, you have a little more self-control because you're like, nah, Jesus, nah, he wouldn't be into that. And it's not a holier than now, or because I feel like holiness is invading spaces. But what holiness does is just ultimately shows you what's not holy. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't need that in my life. And in my neck of the woods is like, I don't need that drama. I have enough drama in my life. And when I became a Christian and I had to try to figure this whole thing out about holiness and walking with God. I think I added more drama into my life when I just needed to be eased into his grace and say, God, you're right. That, I don't need that anymore. I don't need that, that relationship that way anymore. I don't need to talk that way anymore, God. I can actually control my tongue, believe it or not. I really can. Self-control. And they all build on each other. Then endurance happens in that, beloved, so Joanne and I hike what's called Claremont Loop. It's up where we live, wherever Rancho Cucamonga is, the hour from here. There, we live right at the foothills there, and there's this big loop. You can do it's like a five-mile loop, right? So we do it every week. And there are people that they're, they're running up this loop. Like they're, it's elevated, and they're running. And every once in a while, I just want to go, oh, man, I want to run the loop. And so, you know, we've been doing it enough now that I can start running the loop, and it feels great. But at the beginning, I didn't have the, the, the endurance to do it. I had the intensity to do it for a moment. But consistency 
is what's allowing me to experience the beauty of it all. And then godliness and holiness and mutual affection, which the writer is saying, that's about us, the fellowship of the body of Christ. Friends, if we can't learn how to love each other here, don't expect that the world will ever understand how we will try to love them. And I know, I, hey, I pastored a long time. Churches, woo, church. We, woo, church. <laughs> you know, sheep, we bite. And we leave stuff on the ground, and it, it's just, it's a mess. Thank God for good shepherds like Pastor John and Jesus. But, man, we got to learn how to do this better. And then ultimately the agape love that the writer ends with is how it all wraps up. And whenever you see virtue lists in your Bible, just a little theological, biblical thing, it'll help me feel like, wow, that money I paid for made sense for an education. Those, the, the first word and the last word are really the bookends of everything that's in between. For the writer writing the virtues list, especially the Apostle Paul, the first one and the last one are really the, the, the key ones to put it all together. And so he's saying, your faith and your love, be consistent in that. And everything else in the in-between will work out. All right, I'll wrap up. I don't know. Do you come up here and, Ken, or you play stuff? All right, come on, man. Come on up here. See, I'm, I took your lead. Like, they got to get up here, right? Okay, there we go. That's what we're going to do. That, that means we're landing the plane. Fraser is almost done. Everyone's happy. Yay, God. Okay. So I promised I'd share with you just real quickly. When I first got saved, uh, it was intense, and I was grateful because I'm an intense person. And I'm like, for me, I didn't have any Jesus background, so I was like, Every day was the most amazing day of my life, and like everybody needs to know Jesus. I was that guy, okay? And then uh, we started going to a church, and Janine and them were there, and we, that was an intense church. And we're like, and it was like, if we're gonna do it like baptize five people, we should be baptizing 500 people. It's just intense, right? You know, I see some of you were with, with me there. It's intense. So in my mind, what I thought my faith was about was about productivity, not presence. And when I learned what consistency in my spiritual formation would look like, it was not about productivity. God wasn't impressed with all the numbers and all the people and all the spaces and all the backflips. He was not impressed with all of that. He was impressed with, can you steward my presence? And that took a lot of time and consistency. This slide, I really have appreciated it. It always reminds me that God loves that you can think big and be intense about stuff. He's cool with that. But he wants you to be consistent. So think big, act small, and just do them in small steps. You'll still get there. But consistency will always win at the end. I'll end with this quote. I'm going to pray for you. We'll sing, and then we'll see what happens this quote as we we're as I was preparing for this time with you guys and I just thought it was perfect it says this the most beautiful people we've known are those who have known defeat known suffering known struggle known loss and have found their way out of the depths these persons have an appreciation a sensitivity an understanding of life that fills them with compassion gentleness and a deep loving concern this was the line that I thought was important beautiful people do not just happen 
Jesus followers do not just happen. Loving Jesus radically doesn't just happen. Giving generously doesn't just happen. Walking in mercy and justice doesn't just happen. It, it happens through the journey of brokenness and suffering and pain and joy and victory and stewarding all those things over a consistent amount of time. Over and over and over again. Waking up the next day and saying, I will do it one more time, Lord. I will do it one more time, because I want the world to not see that Fraser's beautiful, just so you know. I want the world to see that the beauty of Jesus lives in me. And if I can be consistent with that, I'll know at the end of the day that I've done everything I could to please A consistent life to love and serve the not an intense one. And that's coming from an intense guy. Would you stand? I'm going to pray. And then you're going to sing, I guess. And then you'll tell them when to go. Does that sound good? Okay. I don't know, John. You didn't give me instructions. Stand your hand. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this moment. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the pastor of this church, his family. Lord, I thank you that in this moment you are building something in our hearts towards a place of being consistent because we know God right now the world is, is so intense headlines are intense what's happening to children is intense hostages it's all intense God would you help us to not play checkers in this game called the kingdom that you would help us to play chess the Lord we would see it longer and farther until you return and in the meantime God would you help us to be consistent as we participate with you We'll do our part, God, because you've already done the heavy lifting. But Lord, we ask for your grace.